Welcome to Crosstalks, conversations that drive innovation. In this podcast, we featured well-known payments expert Hugo Cuevas-Moore. This series is based on his 2023 book, Sending Money, Forex, Remittances, Immigration, and the Fintech Revolution, which dives into the evolution of the cross-border financial services industry. Crosstalks is published by Crosstech, a conference and consultancy service company based in Miami, Florida. Each episode is 24 to 28 minutes long. Thank you for listening. Hi, my name is Hugo Cuevas Moore, and this is episode number one of the Sending Money series. I will be the host of this podcast. This first episode is the introduction, is for us to get acquainted. I want you to know what are we up to as we embark on this series about money transfers from the early days of family remittances to the fintech revolution, 40 years of constantly challenging the financial services industry. I want to tell you how the explosive growth of this industry came about. This podcast is about the money transfer industry, the cross-border payments sector from the perspective of the non-bank financial services institutions, abbreviated MBFI or MBFIs, which in the U.S. are called money transmitters, the regulatory denomination. It is about the individuals and the companies who built it, the currency exchange and the remittance companies that have served the millions of individuals who left their home countries for foreign lands in hopes of finding work opportunities that will better allow them to support the loved ones they have left behind. The podcast is based on my duology series, Sending Money, a two-part work entitled Forex Remittances, Migration and the Fintech Revolution, and as a subtitle, The Evolution of the Cross-Border Financial Services Industry. It is a podcast with many episodes, and the book won't be followed precisely. And you can skip the episodes that have no special interest for you. I will give you a short description of the episode in the introduction, so you have an idea of the content of the episode. Every episode will be about 25 to 28 minutes long. First, let me tell you why, as an industry insider, And as an individual who was there from the start, I am a witness as well as an active participant. I will be telling my own story too, anecdotes from my life that relate to my work in the industry. Now, a short bio to start. I was born in Guatemala, raised in Colombia, and a migrant in the U.S. for three decades. My mother was French, my father was Colombian, and I have lived and traveled to many countries. After my university years, I landed a job for a UNICEF project. And after some years as a teacher, I began working in the family business, a forex firm, a Casa de Cami in Cali, Colombia. What began as a summer break from my teaching became my passion for migrants and their journeys and admiration for the family remittances they send home, a deep respect for the pioneers who built this industry and laid down the path for the fintechs of today. I will start from a not-so-distant past where these business ventures 
founded by immigrants serving their communities in the diaspora, overcoming great challenges and making possible that today the fintech companies, the neobanks, the exchanges are taking over the market and developing solutions for people and companies that in this globalized world need services to move money across borders. I will use the terms industry and sector to refer to the providers of cross-border financial services, NBFIs, fintechs, banks, exchanges, and the many firms and individuals that provide solutions, uh, rectechs and compliance professionals, IT and cloud developers, associations, that is, everyone that directly or indirectly serve the growing number of our customers. Cross-border payments are started in various regions of the world, at various times and with different methods, and cannot be said that I have one single beginning. It's also difficult to fully state which corridor was the first to be developed. A corridor is a one-way money flow channel between two countries or regions. Analysts say, for example, that the U.S.-Mexico corridor is the world's largest. Although it is used mostly to describe a one-way flow, usually north-south, there are a few two-way corridors where flows of money occur in both directions, such as the flows in the countries in the European Union. There are also large south-to-south corridors, Chile to Peru and uh, Malaysia to Vietnam, for example. Although banks have developed international transfer services that were consolidated in the 50s and 60s with the creation of SWIFT, this podcast primarily tells a story of the NFIs and how those innovative companies have been using technology to challenge the status quo while navigating the challenges of breaking away from acceptable precepts and customs and providing services either with or without regulation that allow them to do so. The banks or depository institutions partner with NBFIs, although this is a love-hate relationship since most of the time they compete for the same customers. This non-bank-bank friction will be discussed at length in this podcast. NBFIs began, for the most part, in the shadow of banks. Whether accepted or persecuted, regulated or not, these ventures have served either to wealthy customers and their businesses or to lower-income customers, typically migrants, remittance providers, or in the U.S., check cashers and payday lenders. The provision of financial services to migrants has been the catalyst for a sector that is now widely recognized and respected, where millions of dollars are invested in fintech companies that are driving the payments revolution. Like all financial services, ours has been impacted by necessity, market demand, and technological developments in a symbiosis where a dizzling succession of scientific advancements and improvements have occurred. In this third decade of the 21st century, these developments continue with such energy and vitality that it has facilitated the transfer of money and monetary value in ways society is still adjusting to. 
This is a worldwide phenomenon. In developed and developing countries, new companies are springing up daily, seeking to adopt the cleverest technological developments and go to market with their latest novelty that can attract millions of dollars in investments. My purpose is to show how the cycle of innovation and challenges began and continues to drive the rapid evolution of this sector. This work seeks to be give merit to the foreign exchange and remittance industry as the breeding ground that has laid the foundation that makes it possible for fintech companies to gain the strength they have today. Now, the social impact of this sector is unmeasurable. Providing a service to migrants who seek a better future has been the driving force behind this industry for over five, six decades. This sector took shape first in the United States where Latin Americans emigrated in large numbers. Latin Americans first arrived in the US and later Europe. Filipinos and other Asian groups also made their way east, west, north, migrating to countless destinations worldwide. Africans from North and Sub-Saharan Africa have crossed the Mediterranean Sea to reach the shore on the other side and send money home. Indians and Chinese, so large in number, are everywhere in the world. South and Eastern European migrants have headed towards a more prosperous North and the West too. Personal remittances, also called P2P, person to person or peer to peer, also C2C, customer to customer, have developed at each end of a remittance scholar. And that's how it all began. Payments between individuals and companies, P2P or person to business, such as bill payments came later, followed by payments from companies to individuals, B2P, business to persons, like salaries or commissions. Now payments among companies, B2B or business to business, are growing at a pace that keeps exceeding even the most optimistic projections. FXC Intelligence, an industry data provider, estimates that the global P2P market stands in 2023 at $1.8 billion, estimating that by 2030 it will grow 80%, reaching $3.3 billion. On the other side, the B2B market, business to business, stands at $39.3 billion and is forecasted that it will grow by 2030, 43%, reaching $56 billion. The cross-border payment sector has also been fundamental to the great boom in e-commerce today. Incoming remittances to countries like India, China, the Philippines, Mexico, Nigeria, Egypt, have a considerable impact on the local economy. They're even more important for countries such as Haiti, Tajikistan, Nepal, Honduras, El Salvador, Lesotho, where they account for over 20% of GDP. Lebanon has the highest average remittance per capita in the world. Technological developments, especially those related to communications, such as telex and then fax, internet, cell phones, 
have contributed to the growth and success of this sector, to the point that communication companies have become strong contenders in the payment sector. The history of remittances and foreign exchange are closely linked to each other. Currency exchange has always been at the core of international money transfer activities, and it still is, even with the advent of digitalization and cryptocurrencies. The management of crypto is, in itself, an exchange operation. For bankers and most regulators, there was an early belief that MBFIs existed because they handled great transactions, because the clients that used them had something to hide. If you didn't use a bank, there was something fishy. So most of these non-bank companies have been on the margins of society at some times in their history. When I decided to tell the story, I did so because I consider myself, without trying to sound too pretentious, one of the many pioneers in the development of remittances. I took part in the early creation of various processes and procedures, networks and connections, training and qualifications, promotion and activism, which made the successful consolidation of this industry slightly easier. The story of my grandfather, Don El Ciario, seems almost fictional. He founded a business called El Cato Negro, the Black Cat, on a corner locale in Cali, Colombia, where he initially sold newspapers and magazines. He then started purchasing dollars and giving them to airplane pilots and flight attendants so they could bring him international magazines from Panama and New York. He learned the foreign exchange business and built a growing portfolio of clients who needed dollars or wanted to exchange them for Colombian pesos. Over time, Don El Ciario and the money exchange business became extremely popular in the Cali of the 50s and 60s. Everyone in the city knew who he was. One time, he speculated on the rise and fall of the mighty dollar, and that led him to bankruptcy. But he recovered with his skills as a money changer and trader. Upon his death in 1968, my father and his sister decided to continue the foreign exchange business, calling it Cuevas Asociados first and then later Universal de Cambios. They had their own professions and kept the business on the side. As I mentioned in my short bio, I was a teacher in 1987 when they called me to help buy a computer and develop a system to process the remittances that Colombian migrants were beginning to send from the U.S. and that Universal de Cambio was paying out. That is when EFTs, or electronic fund transfers, appeared. In almost all Latin American countries then, Casas de Cambio, foreign exchange houses, like my family's, manage travelers and traders' foreign exchange needs. Regionally, they were all familiar with one another. They had built an informal regional network over time and a court of honor that regulated their exchanges. Changing regulations regarding the legality of currency trading in each country made the business unstable, risky, and complex. 
when Latin American migration to the U.S. became stronger and more widespread, some Casas de Cambio began focusing on paying family remittances. Other Casas de Cambio preferred to continue operating exclusively with their former clients, the merchants, and what they referred to as la gente de bien, in English, the good people, in terms of education, social position, etc. Serving the remittance beneficiaries who were from a lower social stratum than former clients needed a systematic change in the approach and handling of these customers and their services. Upon entering the remittance world in 1987, Universal de Cambios was a small business before it transformed into Titan in 1992 and became one of the most successful remittance companies in Colombia and Latin America for over two decades. From this early start in the remittances business, I learned firsthand the fundamentals of the international money transfer industry and its peculiarities and intricacies. I have traveled extensively, and very early on I met Eddie Cuesta in the Bronx, a Dominican enclave in New York City. We met in front of a money transfer agency where we had agreed. One of the owners of Reenvia, Don Jesus Perez Santalla, had told me that Eddie knew more about remittances than anyone else. Eddie, an Afro-Caribbean Dominican with a wide smile, lively eyes, and an ability to speak with ease that always made me laugh. We went for cortadito, a small coffee with a touch of milk, and received from Eddie one of my first lessons in migration and remittances, agents and their challenges, loyalty and competition, commitment to service, security, speed, and care. Like Eddie and the many colleagues I interviewed for the book, where this podcast draws its roots, there are some of the many professionals who have built this industry and work in it, most of them migrant themselves. Research institutions and multilateral agencies, such as the Inter-American Development Bank, IDB, and the World Bank, began publishing data around the year 2000, when academic work was estimating the large volume of remittances, and governments were becoming aware of the economic impact. Slowly, politicians, public servants, regulators, journalists, and even law enforcement agents, LIAS, changed their minds about remittances and migrants, the silent and unspoken mass of people sending money home. That allowed the industry to gain wide acceptance, but it took several years. At first, the sending side of remittances was dominated by ethnic migrant businesses that decided to serve their own communities by helping them deliver money to their families back home. In the 80s, ethnic business people in the U.S. saw the potential providing services for this new wave of largely Latin American migrants. Filipinos, Vietnamese, and Indians came too, chasing the elusive American dream and leaving behind the struggles of their countries of origins. On the receiving side, money changes began creating practices for handling remittance payments, exchanging money orders, etc. 
with minimal regulation and enforcement in place, pioneers around the globe used early technology, first telex, then fax, to help an industry constantly growing. One of my goals of this podcast is to bring to light the difficulties that innovators and solution seekers encounter, as we did in order to develop the remittance industry. We have had to break the rules and deviate from the dominant structures of the market, especially since most of them had been or are established to preserve the financial dominance of power groups and banks. We have had to push for the rewrite of the obsolete rules and policies, stifling renovation and hindering the provision of services for the underserved. In lending, microfinance institutions and crowdfunding ventures had to fight similar struggles. As is the case with any alternative financial services, it is interesting to see how Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies have been criticized today the same way remittance companies and foreign exchanges were condemned before. I have to warn you that I will use many acronyms in this podcast, and I will try the first time I use an acronym to tell you what it means, and a full list of acronyms and abbreviations is published online. Google Cross-Border Payments Acronyms and Abbreviation, and it will be found in the crosspayments.com website. Now, though this history began in the 1980s, it certainly does not mean that the act of sending money home or providing this service did not exist before. Some chronicles document these transfers in the American continent as far back as the 16th century, when the Spaniards colonized the Americas. Navigators carried missives and valuables across the seas, caravans across the desert, and estate coaches across the vast expanses of the American West. The Hawala or Hondi system has existed for centuries in India and the Middle East. It is a method of transferring money without actually moving bills or coins. Merchants have, by keeping a simple credit and debit accounting notebook, compensate for the flow of money between them. It has been described as money transfer without money movement, or underground banking by those who wish to label it negatively. Networks of exchangers have existed in Latin America too. My grandfather was part of these networks that still exist today. I will discuss Hawala in a later episode as it continues to exist today. There are cultures in which young migrants are not expected to contribute or financially support their parents. Sending remittances home to a father or mother, siblings, or extended family members is a cultural trade found in certain groups more than others, and of certain social classes and ethnic groups more than others. I clearly remember a discussion in 2001 where Donald Terry who manage remittances at IDB, explain how the Irish, speaking about his own Irish background, never thought of sending money home when they left their home country. He explained that there is no moral obligation to help the family in, each, in Irish culture. He said, 
When you leave home, your responsibility is to survive, nothing else. Not feeling a duty to attend to the financial needs of those left behind is normal, particularly in Anglo-Saxon cultures, as they tend to be more individualistic societies. It also has to do with upbringing. It may be completely normal in a family group to care only about oneself. In other circles, this behavior may be considered selfish. Therefore, this industry originated in cultures where people felt a sense of responsibility to provide for their families at home, for their food, health, shelter, and education. Migrants are also responsible for repaying their family members for the money invested in traveling to reach foreign lands paying off any debts they acquire to migrate, or financing the migration of family members who come after them. Contributing to town expenditures, festivals, or celebration is a sign of a status, respect, and caring, something that researchers have witnessed and analyzed in the last 20 to 30 years. It is important to understand that it took many years for Western cultures with Anglo-Saxon backgrounds such as U.S., Canada, United Kingdom, to understand, accept, and recognize the existence of remittances and the need for migrants to send money to their families. Especially within the U.S., this ignorance and lack of understanding have perpetuated society's deeply embedded structural and systemic racism. We see this in the paranoia concerning money laundering in the 1990s, and then the terrorist attacks in 2001 and after, which led to the persecution of small ethnic remittance companies. Many money transfer operators, MTOs, serving their own communities, failed to survive the persecution, the lack of trust, and the unwillingness to train and work with them to adapt to new regulations. Some were able to sell out or partner with companies with the financial strength and the greater acceptance within the financial system and the government circles to live and continue on. All of this and much more will be part of this podcast series. Thank you for listening to episode one. See you in episode two about technology and the road to digitization. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crosstalks, Conversations That Drive Innovation. The book, Sending Money, is available on Amazon. For comments, questions, and feedback, use our social media channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. See you soon.